this. Okay. <laughs> you can get it at Costco. <laughs> Good evening, you mighty saints. <laughs> you remind me tonight of an Old Testament character by the name of, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, might have been Eleazar, um, or maybe it was Benaiah, but the guy that jumped down into the pit on a snowy day and slew a lion. He was one of David's mighty men. So you're, you're those mighty saints who came out tonight in spite of the snow. Amen. Okay, let's turn our Bibles to Job chapter 13. As you turn, we'll pray, Father, we bless you tonight. Lord, what an awesome God you are. We are grateful, Father, for your many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. Lord, you never stop. You're such a kind, gracious, and generous Father. Lord, we thank you for not only your provision, but for your protection. Lord, for your many mercies, Lord, in our lives. Lord, uh, we were singing a moment ago of your, of your grace. Lord, uh, we're thankful. We're grateful, Lord. Your grace is constantly, Lord, touching our lives in many, many different ways. And so we thank you tonight that we can just, we can come out, Lord, we can come out and Fellowship, Lord, uh, we're thankful, Lord, for your for for good health, enabling us to be here. And Lord, we we know many, Father, uh, a number of folks, Lord, of uh, people that uh, uh, don't even attend this church, but we've gotten prayer requests uh, for them. As I think there were four of them, Lord, in the hospital with COVID. And Lord, how we pray, Lord, uh, you're our great physician, and Lord, what a wonderful thing it is. To be able to pray for people that you would reveal yourself, Lord, by touching them. Lord, touching them, whether it's a, a complete healing um, or just ministering to them and, and keeping them alive. Lord, uh, we're, we're thankful, Father. So we lift these folks before you. Lord, uh, their names may escape me, but they don't escape you. Lord, how we pray for them tonight and ask you, Lord, to just, Lord, uh, wrap your arms around them. Lord, uh, you're our Jehovah Rapha, uh, the Lord, our healer. So we, we plead that, and we ask you to do that, Lord. And we pray, Father, as we, Lord, uh, jump now back into the, this book of Job. Lord, after a few weeks, uh, we pray that, Lord, uh, you'd give life once again to your word. For Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're in chapter 13 tonight. And uh, we're in the midst here of Job uh, answering his critics. Uh, they've been, uh, particularly the, the, the Zophar, Eliphaz has spoken, Zophar has spoken. And, and Zophar basically was saying to Job, uh, if you just want to sum it up, I guess, that, you know, Job, you just simply need to repent. And I would think that perhaps maybe if you and I did not have the insight of chapter 1 and 2, to see what was really going on behind the curtain, behind the scene, behind on that heavenly scene. You know, we might as well uh, look at this situation, you know, considering all that happened to Job, that he must, he, you know, you would think he must be on the bad side of God because he's lost everything. 
Um, and it was just a series of, of, of you know, strokes against this individual. And one of the things, you know, another of the issues that we see here, one of the things about the book of Job, is it really helps us to counsel people. Um, and one of the things that you learn to, to say uh, is basically, you know, to be compassionate, to be empathetic, uh, to give people, to allow people to have that cathartic moment that they need. Because one of the things that we see here, how quickly they are, I mean, initially they were somewhat compassionate. You know, they sat with Job in the ashes and so forth, you know, for, for a week's time. And I think that was commendable. We, we, I mean, we talked about that. But when you see these guys that sort of heap on, it, it's like it's almost a conspiracy. Um, and so one of the things that we learn is how, you know, how to deal with people, how to counsel people. You know, we also learn what not to say. Um, yeah, I think you know, when we're ministering to someone who's really you know, struggling and, and beat up by, by life and circumstances, um, you know, one of the things that's important you know, that you listen and hear them out. Um, and one of the things that, as the, for years I did counseling, and one of the things that the Lord taught me is that when I'm listening to someone, I'm praying for them. I'm not only listening, I'm processing, I'm praying. I'm praying for the word of knowledge, for the word of wisdom, uh, for clarity, you know, for guidance, uh, because without the Holy Spirit involved, you know, in our counseling. And the thing that we see about these guys is they have incredible truth. So much of what they say is true, but also what we see is it's wrongly applied. And we see that time and time again. And these guys are so utterly convinced. And sometimes that can happen to us, you know, because we do know the Bible. We do have truth. But sometimes, too, we may look at the situation and we don't really have that discernment or that sensitivity, you know, through the Holy Spirit to really effectively understand the dynamics of what's going on. And so, uh, you know, I think, you know, as we're listening, you know, as we're praying, uh, and I think it's important to have a listening ear. Uh, I've learned many different things, you know, in counseling, you know, things I've learned things not to do. You know, you let, you know hear people out, you know, let them you know, pour out their, you know, their story, their, 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 their situation and circumstance. So, um, uh, so in chapter 13, verse 1, <clears throat> Job is speaking here, and he says, Behold, my eye has seen all this, my ear has heard and understood it. So he's sort of, you know, sort of responding to them. He says, what do you guys think, I'm deaf and dumb, uh, that I don't understand the dynamics here? And again, they think Job's lying. They think because of what has happened to them. And that's one of the things that we come to realize. You can't judge a situation by just looking externally. You simply cannot. That's what these guys are doing. They're looking at the outward circumstances, you know, and, and they're making these, you know, estimations. Job, you know, obviously, uh, with all these negative things happening, happening in your life, you have to be in sin. And again, knowing chapters 1 and 2, he's not. As a matter of fact, these guys are getting into sin uh, in their... Basically, they're judging him. They're being harsh with him. They're not fully understanding the circumstance. And, of course, you see that um, in a big way, even though, remember, even though these guys are saying a lot of things that are truthful. I, I, over the years, I think about some of the quotes out of the book of Job, and some of them been by Job's friends. I think it's more like Job's adversaries. Um, and and, and there's, tr there's truth there. But, again, it's important, you know, Knowing truth, we need discernment, man. That's why it's important to be uh, in touch and in tune and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Man, I'll tell you what, we need that today. 
That's one thing I see oftentimes lacking in the church, a, a sense of a discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit that we're able to just, you know, understand, you know, the circumstance, the situation. And, um, and I've had the privilege many times in counseling to experience that, uh, for his, just giving me a discernment um, and, you know, to be able to take a truth and apply it. And I've met many different times, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to you know, toot my horn here, but many different times people would say, man, you know, um, you know, how did you know? And it's like, I don't know, but the Lord knows. And he can give us the wherewithal, can give us that, again, I call it, like the scripture says, the word of knowledge. It's a word of knowledge that applies right to the situation. I've been in meetings, too, where I've seen the word of wisdom uh, that's been applied. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody's stumped. You know, we don't know where to go. I've seen this in leadership meetings at times, and all of a sudden, somebody just sort of steps in, and the Lord gives them the word of wisdom. It's like, wow, you know, where'd that come from, you know? Uh, and that's, that's, you know, God. That's, you know, him giving those timely words that we need, you know, in a particular given situation. He says, verse 2, what you know I also know. I'm not inferior to you. He probably felt like it because they're looking down their nose at him. Uh, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. And that's one of the things that uh, we see he even uses some legal language. You know, he wants to have, you know, that opportunity to basically testify, to get in the, to get in the dock and testify, you know, as to the fact that um, I'm not guilty of all these things that they're basically charging me with. He says, but you are forgers of lies. Again, it's as if they had formed a conspiracy. You know, again, these here are his friends. He says, you are worthless physicians. In other words, a bad diagnosis will always bring a worthless result. Have you ever had a bad diagnosis from a doctor or, or maybe a, some kind of a physician's assistant, whatever the case may be, and, and just, just no result? Uh, that's why so often when uh, you're being examined by the doctor, he's questioning you. He's looking, he's trying to gather some kind of information uh, so that when he gives a diagnosis or whatever the case, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, applying certain kind of medication, he'll be able to do this. But he, Job says, these guys, you're just worthless physicians. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to be doctors, but you're really not helping me at all. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. You know, the Bible says that even when a fool, this proverb says, that even when a fool is quiet or silent, uh, he seems to be a wise person. And, uh, and I think this would have been, this was actually good wisdom for these guys. Uh, but he, now hear my reasoning and heed the pleadings of my lips. Uh, will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Uh, will you show partiality for him? Will you contend uh, for God, he uses this, this word contend for God four different times here. And again, they had asserted with all, you know, all authority that they were God's spokesmen. Because again, they knew truth. And they felt very confident because they had truth that this, the truth obviously is applicable in this particular situation. But again, um, judging it wrongly. It'll be well, and when he searches you out, uh, you can mock him as one who mocks a man. Um, and he will surely rebuke you, and if you secretly, uh, that is, if you secretly show partiality. So right now, really, in a sense, their arguments were really mocking God. They were, they were in, in a sense, not mocking God in a negative kind of a way, but mocking God in a sense that they thought they were speaking for him, but they really were not. Will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Um, he, he's basically saying here, you know, uh, uh, where, you know, where's your fear of God about this? Uh, he, and uh, he goes on to say, uh, 
Uh, your platitudes are proverbs of ashes, and your defenses are defenses of clay. You know, their fiery logic, how quickly it turned, you know, into ashes as far as Job is concerned. Uh, will your, or hold your peace with me and let me speak, Job says. And again, remember, it was almost like a tag team kind of situation, Eliphaz, Zophar, um, you know, Bildad, and then there's going to be another guy, Elihu, who comes later. And it's almost like they're tag teaming, you know, Job and giving him, you're not giving him much of an opportunity because, again, they're all convinced uh, that, uh, you know, they're ministering and they're really trying to help Job. And, and, and if Job, you'll just break, if you'll just break and repent. Um, but hold your peace with me, let me speak, and then, uh, then let come on me <laughs> what may. Um, so, you know, basically, he's convinced of his being right, and he's saying, you know, no matter what, come what may, come, you know, come what may. Um, uh, why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? And I love verse 15. It's a great, I think it, it really indicates the degree of faith that Job has. I've always called this, this verse sublime faith. There are certain verses in the Bible, you know, that you just say, wow, that's sublime faith. That's, that's like, that's faith maxed out, you know, kind of a thing, where he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if I die, you know, even if God were to take my life, I'm going to trust him. I mean, that's, that's faith, isn't it? That, that, that's faith in, in face of, you know, whatever it is that, that you and I have to face. And even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He feels that way, but he's going to change. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is, um, we need to be careful about defending ourselves before the Lord. Because when it comes to that, we really don't have a foot to stand on. You know, David said this, the Lord is my defense. In other words, if I'm going to be defended, uh, I'm going to let the Lord do it. Uh, remember David, it was interesting, you know, I, 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 I love the faith of David at, at so many different junctures and, and points in his life, uh, you know, as his men, um, at one point he says, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I lay among lions, you know, he's looked at these, these, some of these guys, you know, Joab and, you know, his, his brothers and so forth, and, and remember they wanted to kill King Saul, and, uh, you know, Joab says, let me strike him once. And it's like David says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to leave him in God's hands. And that's what I like about David. David always, it was always there in his understanding, in his theology, you know, that there was the sovereignty of God. There was God, you know, we're, we're going to trust him. Um, you know, sometimes, too, there may be, you know, certain trials that, you know, you can sort of try to opt out of. But sometimes, you know, it's faith to just hang in there and trust God. Let him bring the trial, you know, to an end. You know, let, let, you know though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Um, and there's always, you know, in this whole life of faith, there's always something new. There's always some new depth to learn, isn't there? You know, as we go through different things, you know, uh, because there's a tendency, you know, sometimes to rest on our laurels of faith. You know, we may have had great trials, but sometimes when we, have, we find that new trial, that new challenge that comes to us, you know, in our faith, uh, we find ourselves, you know, uh, wanting to just maybe circumvent that, wanting to just sort of sneak around it. Uh, but it's important that we just simply trust Him if He has put us in this situation. Um, there, I remember uh, I was in a job, and, 
And I just, I just couldn't get out of it because the Lord wouldn't let me out of it. I wanted to be out of it. I was in a, I was in a laboratory situation. I was in a couple of guys. It's like they were chain smokers all day long. <laughs> I come home and Marty said, you smell like an ashtray. And, uh, and it's like every couple of days I'd wipe, I, it was my, my lab station and there was a window here. And every couple of days I'd wipe it off and there was all this brown stuff, you know, that came off, you know, on, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, it's like I couldn't breathe and I'm uh, fighting asthma and all this sort of thing. It's like, Lord, I want to get out of this situation. It's like, you know what? The Lord said to me, you know, you're going to get out of the situation when I release you. And I said, okay, Lord. And, uh, and, you know, after I sort of just surrendered to it, it wasn't long. It wasn't long after that where the Lord just, you know, he changed, and he does that. Um, but there's things that he's working in our life where he's just sort of deepening, you know, our, our trust, our faith, our reliance upon him. Uh, and certainly that's happening with Job, but when you look at Job, it's happening in a mega way. It's in a very um, traumatic, you know, experience that some of us will probably never experience what this great man experiences. Uh, he also shall be my salvation, uh, he says, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Uh, listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, pardon me, see now I have prepared my case. Again, he's, he's like an attorney defending himself. He wants to go before the Lord. I know that I shall be uh, vindicated who is he who will contend with me? Almost sounds a little bit proud there, and of course, um, it's understandable, you know, Job in his situation where he's just sort of getting picked on. And I imagine there are some things that he says here that maybe as he just sort of uh, thinks about it after he says, says it, maybe he kind of walks it back uh, like you and I perhaps would. Um, verse 20 here, he's speaking, uh, he's speaking here directly you know, to the Lord when he says, only two things do not do to me. And then I will not hide myself from you. Uh, and so here the, the first one is, withdraw your hand far from me. Uh, and he's speaking here perhaps uh, uh, not of God's blessing, but of God's hand of chastisement. Uh, and he's thinking, you know, God is chastising him. Um, and all of his friends are obviously implying that. That Job, if you know you're 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 in this position because you deserve to be in this position, so he's just saying, Lord, will you just sort of lift your heavy hand from me at this particular time? <clears throat> or perhaps he's also saying, Do not take your hand of blessing from me. He could be saying that as well. Uh, and do not and let not the dread of you make me afraid. So as I stand before, you, as I go through this, Lord, don't let me just be frightened. Don't let me be frightened because obviously, Job believes. And remember, too, one of the things that we said before, the devil's in this. We see that. We see that very clearly, chapter 1 and chapter 2. So he is in a, in, a, in a spiritual war and fight and battle for his very life. And so there's things that the devil's doing to him, attacking him um, spiritually, emotionally, attacking him through what his, what his friends are saying. And he's thinking, because, again, it is spiritual, you know, when the devil oftentimes in spiritual warfare, it's a spiritual thing. And, and he can process that by thinking, well, that's the Lord. And sometimes people do this. You know, when the, when the enemy is at, at work within their life and he's, he's attacking them spiritually, they can think and translate that into the Lord when it's not the Lord, when it's the devil. 
And we have to understand that. We see that very, very clearly in this conversation in chapter 1 and 2 between the Lord and Satan. And Satan wants to destroy this guy. Satan is simply trying to prove his point that basically Job or anybody that you bless, they are mercenaries. They're just doing it because you're doing good things for them. In other words, that faith could not be genuine. Love for God could not be genuine. And Satan is basically trying to prove that. And Job is basically the football that's in the middle there. But Job doesn't know that. He doesn't understand that the enemy is, is, is up to his ears in this. And yet the Lord is as well. But sometimes, I think especially for him, I think we can see it a little more clearly because we're on the outside looking in. But for him, just like for you and I, when you're in, the, you're in a fiery trial, trial, it's very hard to sort things out. Very difficult to understand all the different dynamics. And that's why it's important that we really be people of prayer, crying out, you know, looking to the Lord, hanging on, holding on to Him, you know, asking for His continual guidance. I'm surprised sometimes when I see Christians. They get in a trial. They get hard. They get hard. They almost get like they're angry at God because, God, you're messing up my nice little life, you know, kind of a thing. And, and that's nothing but pride. You know, one of the things that Job says is the, the Almighty, I'm, I'm thinking in the King James here, the Almighty he troubleth me and he maketh me soft. And, and God uses trials in our lives oftentimes to just, you know, if there's some area, it's, it's hard, you know, to soften us up and to make us pliable, to make us humble, to make us, and again, pliability means usability. And sometimes because of our pride, God simply cannot use us. You know, pride's very opinionated. Uh, pride's very defensive. And, uh, and as a believer, we're very, very capable of those things. And so sometimes a trial may come just, you know, in our lives just to kind of soften us up and to make us pliable, uh, to make us, you know, more usable, you know, for the Lord. And certainly that's happening with Job. I think everything that possibly, you know, God does in the life of a believer, it's happening in Job, you know, as he goes through this particular uh, experience. So let not the dread of you make me afraid. I don't want to be frightened, Lord. Uh, and I'm sure the devil is trying to do that for him. Uh, then call and I will answer and let me speak. And then you respond to me. So he keeps pushing for this, you know, this, this um, time with God so he can just sort of clear this matter up. And, and no doubt he wants to defend himself, but also too, he wants God's perspective. He, want, he wants to know what the Lord is going to say uh, about this, you know, what, what's going on and, and so forth. Uh, he goes on to say, how many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. And, and what he's longing to know here is you know, sp specific sins that has brought this calamity upon him. Lord, just like I think any of us would say, well, if, 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 if uh, I've committed a certain sin and, uh, and it's brought devastation to my life, well, Lord, what is it? You know, what, what is it, Lord? Uh, I want to repent of that, you know, I, and I think, it, I think, you know, because of the Holy Spirit working in our life through our circumstances and situations, he gives us a willingness to change, and that's a good thing. That, that's so important, that, that just that willingness and desire in the sense that, you know, sometimes we, we know that um, it's the Lord that has to change us. 
uh, it's human nature, even though we can be willing at times and know we need to change. And sometimes you might even find yourself, I need to change here. I can't change. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep saying this? Why do I keep acting and behaving in this kind of way? We need the Lord. I think understanding we need change is, is important, but that's only the first aspect of it. Uh, he's the change agent. You know, he, the Holy Spirit, you know, working in our life. And so, you know, as we're praying, Lord, you know, bring to pass that change, you know, within. Um, I, I can remember many, many years ago, uh, Margie and I had an argument, and this was like we were, we were living in Farmington. And, uh, and I can remember she's telling, me, she's, she's telling me these things about me that, that bug me. Uh, that bug her, rather. They didn't bug me. <laughs> I was good with it. <laughs> But these were things that just sort of bugged her. And, and I can remember, you know, as I'm just processing her, you know, making her point and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and I'm thinking, uh, I can't change that. I can't. I was a new believer. I can't change that. And I think I, I, think I ended up saying to her, well, you married me. <laughs> you married me like I, like I was, you know. And, uh, uh, but it was just... The Holy Spirit, you know, using the mirror of my wife to show me something that, you know, that uh, I wasn't really willing to change at the time. And, uh, but you know, it, when you get used to the Holy Spirit, you know, shining his light on your areas of your life, you realize, yeah, we do need to change. And, and, and the spiritual life is a life of constant flux and change. Uh, of being shaped and, and, and remolded. You know, the Bible says we're like, you know, we're like clay in the hands of the potter. And sometimes, you know, and I remember I took pottery class. Uh, I, I took that class uh, uh, in high school because it was easy class, one of the easiest classes in the trade areas to take. So I took, I took uh, I, they didn't call it pottery, they called it something else. But, uh, and I remember, you know, you could take that clay and you could just sort of make anything you want out of that clay. You make something and it's like, ah, I don't like it. And you pick it up again and you kind of roll it around in your hands and you make something different out of it. And in a sense, you know, Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah 18 speaks of that, that he's the potter with the clay. And, and there's times where he, you know, he just takes her life and he refashions it and he, and he wants to change something. And, uh, and, and sometimes uh, he, he may use circumstances or other people you know, to maybe speak that truth into our life when we're maybe not open to it or not willing. But the beautiful thing is, man, let God change us. Uh, you, you know, we struggle with it. Yeah, we wrestle with it. Uh, but we need it. We need it because he's making us more and more like Jesus. Uh, he's, he's making us, you know, the, just you know, more and more pliable and more and more open, you know, to God and to the things of God. And, he's, and the finished product is going to be awesome. He says, why do you hide your face and regard me as, as an enemy, Job says to God here. <clears throat> Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? He's looking at his life like that. He's being blown around by all the circumstances. Will you pursue dry stubble? And again, he, he's feeling like this. Uh, you, for you write bitter things against me. You make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. And so uh, perhaps he's maybe looking back. He's probably searching his life. He's probably searching his life thinking, you know, I can't really find anything. You know, I thought, been, I thought I'd been really doing good with the Lord. And he was. And so maybe he harks back to maybe an earlier period in his life. And, um, and you know, sometimes as a believer, people can go through that. Uh, you know, I've counseled folks sometimes. And 
I think we have to be careful about examining ourselves. Um, there are extremes. Now, the Bible says we need to examine our hearts. Okay, there's no doubt about that. But we have to be careful, and I, li I like the word that, 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 that um, Oswald Chambers uses, morbid introspection. And I've sometimes dealt with believers, and I think, to me, it's Satan. To me, it's the enemy just so criticizing someone that they begin to just sort of get so introspective that they're going back, you know, decades in their life and, and trying to correct, you know, certain mistakes or whatever the case may be and maybe looking back at faults uh, and, and different failures in your, your life. And, and I think we need to be careful about that, okay? Because if, you know, if we have come to Christ, that stuff that's, you know, that stuff is before, you know, certainly things that are before Jesus Christ, they're under the blood, man. They're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why if, if, if in our self-examination, as we examine something and something comes to mind, that we need to just confess it and move on. I think we need to be careful. It, it happens, to, it tends to happen more with young believers than, than believers that have been around for a while and had an experience. But be careful of this morbid kind of introspection. And I think Job is kind of wrestling with that as he thinks about the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the sins of his youth. And he's probably scouring his mind um, because he's been under such a searchlight. And not only is his, from his friends, but like I said, the devil's here. And I'll tell you what, when the devil is trying to destroy someone, it's a very powerful kind of thing. It's very impactful. And, uh, and he does it. He does it particularly out there in the world. You know, when he gets someone to a very fragile point in their life, you know, he gets somebody, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, um, you know, their, their lives are emaciated from drugs or some particular sin or a habit or addiction. And Satan loves to get people in a point, at, at a point where he just, kind of, in a sense, drives them crazy, uh, gets them to think about suicide or taking their life or, or just, you know, it's interesting. How, you know, Satan's very clever. You know, he draws people, draws people in with sparkly little things, attractive little things. But ultimately, like Jesus said, he's a murderer. And, and you know, sin is always pleasurable for a season initially. But eventually, it is so destructive, he is always wanting to basically murder and ultimately destroy someone's life. And when he gets into someone's head, uh, that's how so often he does it. He gets in. You know, and again, he's referred to the prince of power of the air, the god of this age. And we see him out there. I wonder how many people, sadly, and that's why, you know what, we need to be praying this time of year. Do you know how many people are thinking about committing suicide this time of year? I mean, it is, that's the, that's the pandemic right now this time of year. So many people considering that, thinking about that because they're depressed. They're, and, and not only because of life itself, but covid Man, the isolation factor. And that's one of the big things in suicide. And we need to be praying. We need to be praying that perhaps maybe God could use us to just maybe reach out. Pray about bringing somebody to church. Or just pray about maybe reaching out to somebody that you, 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 you may know that may be struggling in some kind of way. Just maybe a text, a phone call, uh, an email, something of that particular nature.
So he says, you make me inherit uh, the iniquities of my youth. And of course, the Lord wasn't. Uh, you put my feet in the stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that, that is moth-eaten. Now, he's probably looking at his physical condition. Remember, that was the last thing that the enemy laid on him, Satan laid on him. You know, just a sickness, a disease where his skin, he's probably pussy. And uh, it could have been some, like some type of a leprosy, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and I imagine, you know, Job's friends have probably even kept their distance. Well, Job, you, you stay over there, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And I mean, the guy's probably feeling so absolutely beat up and isolated by life. Remember, his wife said, you know, just get it over with, man. Just curse God and die. You know, when your spouse says that to you, when you're going through a trial, you know you're in deep water. When your spouse says, just give it up, man. Just curse God and die. So, um, so he is seeing, seeing himself, you know, life is life, no doubt, not just physically, but even spiritually. Life is just basically a rotten thing. So chapter 14 here, and Job is continuing here, and we have references in chapter 14 uh, to, the, uh, to the resurrection here. And, uh, <clears throat> and one of the things that we see, you know, not, not only here in the book of Job, but through the Bible, how brief life is. It, it, you know, it's like Jesus, it's like a vapor. It just, it, it so quickly, um, you know, rapidly we go through the years and the decades. And, uh, you know, in our minds sometimes, you know, um, I, I feel like, gee, I just, weren't we just in the 1970s? <laughs> you know, didn't we just do this? You know, I graduated from high school over 50 years ago. And, uh, but you, know, you feel like it's, well, just yesterday. It wasn't that long ago because life just moves by so quickly. You imagine we're going to be in eternity for eons and ages and trillions and trillions of years. And I think, you know what I think, why, why I think this is, I think this is unique more to the believer. I know there's people in, in this world, they're always trying to, to look ageless, okay, that, that's part of getting old, you know. You struggle with that kind of thing. And, we, you know, we have all kinds of medical and types of things to do to our body to make it look young. But I, I think this is unique to believers, that there's a sense of youthfulness about the child of God. Is it just me? Don't you, think, don't you feel that? Because why? God's eternal spirit has come into your life. And I think that's why, in a sense... We feel young. And I think sin in our culture, in our society, that's what makes people feel old. That's what wears people out. It's, it's sin. That's the dynamic. That's the killer out there. And so for you and I to have this, this great privilege to be cleansed, to be free, we don't have to walk in sin. Yeah, we do sin, but we don't have to live in that. We don't have to walk in that. And as a result, there's a, just a, a, a glorious sense uh, it, it's it, it's god's eternal spirit in us but it's this expectation if you will it's this expectation of something more you know something something future and i think that that's very accurate because we do we have a glorious future that's why you know don't put all your eggs in the basket of this life john said this life you know uh you know the the, the lust in this life it's passing away 
but he that or she that does the will of God abides forever. Uh, he comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow. He's speaking about the sundial there, how quickly a day goes by. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. He does not open, uh, and do not open your eyes, rather, on such a one and bring me to judgment. So he's, he's thinking as God is staring at him in anger. But I'll tell you what, the devil's staring at him in anger. The devil and his minions are kind of, they're, they're, they're licking their chops. They're wringing their hands thinking, how can we bring this guy down? Well, what does it take? You know, they're looking at this guy. And, and uh, what an incredible, you know, lesson, um, you know, when you think about Job, that not only is there, is, is there a lesson being played out in his life, you know, to his friends, ultimately, they don't see that now, but also too before the world and devils. And I think, Satan is going to marvel at this man because he's absolutely sure because many people are mercenaries. You know, many people cash in their faith when some trial, some difficulty comes. But what a marvelous thing it is for the child of God that when we, you know, in spite of whatever the world throws at us, that like Job are saying, though he slay me yet, yet will I trust him. He goes on to say, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, th unclean thing that is? Uh, no one, he answers his own question here. Uh, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. Uh, you, have, you have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass, speaking of his life there. And remember what Jim Elliott said. It's a great, it's a great uh, quote, and it's worthy of, you know, worthy of our quoting continually. You know, only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's perspective, isn't it? Puts things in perspective. Look away from him that he may rest, Job's saying. In other words, Lord, give us a reprieve. Uh, till, it, or, or till like a hired man he finishes his day. Now in verses um, 7 here he says, For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at, at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. So remember the Bible says hope is like an anchor for the soul. So what he sees, he's looking at nature, and he's seeing there basically the hope of renewal. And what it is, he's, he's, reflecting, he's, he's reflecting on life after death. Now, again, Job does not have in any kind of way the revelation that you and I might take for granted. You know, we can read things like, um, we can read, you know, we can read, uh, you know, even like when you read Psalm 16 and David there is speaking about resurrection. David is, doesn't fully understand even the things that he's prophesying and speaking about. But we can look at them in the light of what we know, and we've experienced the resurrected Savior in our life. And we, you know, we look into the Scriptures. You look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great chapter you know, on the resurrection, and we can understand these things in a, in a much more profound way than even Job and some of the Old Testament prophets. Because, again, we got this. We got the Holy Spirit. And that's a value, man. We need to be, we need to be studying the Word of God. 
We need to be looking. And I, I, you know, I so appreciate you guys coming out midweek just with, with, a, with, a, with a hunger, with a desire to want to study the word, to want to be encouraged. And, and, and as, as we do this, as we do meet like this, you know, there's mutual encouragement. You know, after the Bible study, we're praying, we're talking with one another. We, we need this. We, we need to have this as such an important thing for each one of us. But anyway, here, um, he's, he's, he's looking, he's, he's thinking, he's seeing in nature renewal. And he's thinking, Lord, and he's wanted to die. He's wanted to die. He hasn't talked about suicide. But he's wanted God to just end it all for him. But, but it's like the Lord, as he's going through this, he's, the Lord's like lifting up, you know, his eyes to get his eyes off of the circumstance, off of the situation. And all of a sudden he's thinking about, you know, life after death and, and, and resurrection or, or renewal. And you know what? Job is going to be incredibly, wonderfully renewed. We, we see that at the end of the book. But he doesn't see that. He doesn't know that. But he, in a sense, and that's the beauty about faith. There's something wonderful about faith that, that it begins to reach and grasp for something beyond itself, beyond its circumstances. And, and we need to have that kind of faith where when we're going through a struggle and, 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 and maybe even feel hopeless, there's always, you know, he's the God of hope. And, and, it, and it says if Job is grasping for something, um, you know, not able to see it, not able to feel it, but I'll tell you what, we know, because we read the book, it's there, Job. And, and you know what? It's there for us. It, it's there for us as we keep our eyes, you know, focused upon the Lord, as we keep looking to Him in the midst of whatever might be going on. You know, you might be, you might be on the mountaintop tonight. Praise God. But sometimes, you know what? We're just in the valley. There's times we're just in the valley. And, uh, and, and we're working through circumstances and situations and sometimes painful things. And I'll tell you, that's where our faith needs to be, our faith. Amen? That, that's where we need to trust. You know, what, what kind of trust does it take when you're up on the mountaintop, you know, shouting hallelujah and glory to God, and, you know, and, and you're looking at, at, the, at the, you know, the panorama, you know, of all circumstances and you're just feeling good about things. You know, it's great to have those moments. But our faith really needs to be working, man, when we're down in the valley, when, when we're struggling, when we're beat up, when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, he says here in verse 10, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? Uh, as water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up. Uh, so man lies down, does not rise, uh, till the heavens are no more. Uh, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. And again, um, he's, 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 he doesn't have the revelation, the insight that you and I have. Um, you know, it's interesting because when you see the Old Testament references, you know, uh, Psalm 16, Isaiah 26, 19, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, these are hints. These were hints for the Old Testament. And again, even when you think about, you know, somebody as great as Daniel uh, or Isaiah, chapter 26, 19, uh, these guys had hints, you know, these had hints and these little insights into this incredible truth of resurrection. 
here we have been the great, not only have, have we seen it and, and it's taken place, but we've been the recipients of it. You see, that's what enables you and I to rise above in our circumstances. It's resurrection power. Remember, Paul prayed about that in, in, in uh, he, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He, he said that I, that I may know him. It's a, it's a prison epistle. That's, it finally hit me, it hit me one day when I was reading it. It's like, wow, this is, Paul's at the end of his life. Paul's at the end of his life. He's in prison now. How much longer does he have to live? But yet he's still, he's still saying this, that I may know him. Because to the day we die, we need to be growing in knowing, don't we? Just growing in our knowing. And, and that I might fellowship with him in my suffering. And here, he was suffering. He was in prison. Now, now you and I will probably never be in prison, but sometimes we're in imprisoned circumstances, aren't we? Where, where there's a suffering that takes place in our life. But here's the deal. Because of his resurrection power, are we fellowshipping with him? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and, and, and again, being conformed to his death. Now, they're being conformed to the likeness of Jesus in, in all of those things. <clears throat> he says, oh, that you would hide me in the grave. He, that's, that's still there. That you would conceal me until your wrath uh, is passed. And again, he says he's longing to be hidden, even if it means... And you know, you can get to a point in your life where, where and, and Job is there, there's no doubt about it. When you lose 10 kids, okay, when you lose 10 kids, you lose all your servants. Everything that you've had has been wiped away. You don't want to live. You don't want to live. You're, you are so, many of us have not even lost one child, and we know how painful something like that would be, how bitter that would be. But Job's lost 10. And that's why his wife, nothing more to live for. Nothing more to live for. But again, there is. We live for him. Because eventually, you know what? We're, we are leaving it all behind. We're, we're leaving it all behind. <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself. Because, you know, the older you get, you tend to accumulate more and more and more and more and more and more things. I think garage sales started with old folks, okay? You know, it's like, wow, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about buying one of those, you know, one of those Amish garages, you know, down here on 104, you know, and thinking, oh, I, yeah, I need that. I could put that right outside of my whole garage, and, you know, why empty it out? We'll just fill this one up too, you know? And, uh, and that's the way life is. But, you know, the fact is, I have to remember I'm leaving it all behind. Not taking anything with me. Pastor Chuck used to say this. It's all going to burn. <laughs> well, I don't want to be that negative. <laughs> but it is. It is. It's all going to burn. Now he goes, he, he, here's his question here. Uh, verse... Um, Okay, I'm sorry, the end of verse 13. That you would appoint me a set time and remember me. He's looking for his appointment. Now look at verse 14. If a man die, shall he live again? It's a resurrection question. All the days of my hard service, I will wait 
the word hard service there is actually a reference to military service. In other words, he's like a military guy. He's waiting for his discharge. I remember being in the military. And it's like, uh, I couldn't wait to get out. Like, like most guys that are in there, they, they do their time, whatever they signed up for. It's like, man, I can't wait to get out of there, you know, kind of thing. Because you got constantly people telling you to do stuff all the time, you know. You, you don't have a life to your, of your own, you know. That's why I, I really respect anybody that ever stayed in the military because it's a very difficult thing. You're always getting orders. Um, you got to drag your family around the, you know, around the globe, uh, because you can't, you just can't settle down any particular place. And so Job is thinking that he's thinking about this this trial in his life. It's like a, it's like a, a, a stretch, you know, in the military, the worst possible, you know, uh, the worst possible kind of uh, service. Notice what he says until my change comes. So he anticipates some kind, some kind of life after death. And sometimes, you know, it's almost like hope against hope. Um, you know, the Bible, Paul speaks about that, hoping against hope. And it's like, yeah, he's emotionally, emotionally he's saying, yeah, I just, I want to die. And, and, uh, and he's saying, like he said here at the end, at the very end of verse 12 here, a man lies down, he does not rise till the heavens are no more and they, uh, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. But he's, he's probably saying those kind of things in his emotions, in his limited understanding. But then the Holy Spirit comes into this. And, he, and he's, as, he sees, as we see in verse 14, you know, if a man dies, shall he live again? And then he's speaking about, oh, till my change comes. And so again, the Holy Spirit, you know, ministering to him, you know, as he goes through this particular thing, giving him little glimpses, little insights. Now he goes on to say in verse 15, you shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. Uh, in verse 16, but for now, you number my steps. You do not watch over, uh, but do not watch over my sin, he says. And again, he doesn't realize how, how there's a provision, there's going to be a provision for his sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag. Uh, you cover my iniquity. And as a mountain falls and crumbles away, as a rock is moved from its place, uh, again, he hasn't, he hasn't lost hope. His, his faith and his hope hasn't been totally eroded and moved out of its place, as waters, our water wears away stones, and as torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. Here's the thing. The only hopes that God destroys are false hopes. When we're hoping in him, no, he never destroys that. He encourages that. But sometimes a person, their world has to fall apart, before they realize that they've been hoping, and, and, and we see that, you know, that's, that's, that's a big issue with natural man, that, that there's all these hopes and aspirations in the wrong things. But again, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what, is, what does it say over in uh, seven, chapter 7 of Hebrews? I think it's verse 25. Hope is what? An anchor. It's an anchor for the soul. It's an anchor. Hope is an anchor for our emotions. And there's so many things when you look at, when I look at the young generation, and of course we all know that, we were young at one particular time, and you realize how emotions just cause people to vacillate. You know, they vacillate back and forth and they do so many things just out of feelings and out of emotions and how destructive that can be. Because they, what, they, they place their hope. They place, you know, when you're young and you don't have any experience in life, you put your hope in other people. You put your hope in, in institutions and things of that particular nature. I can remember over the years watching different people 
um, you know, who had maybe given their, their life 25, 30 years, 35 years to, you know, these big corporations that we live near. And all of a sudden, you know, one day somebody walks up and they're walking you out the door. Or they're telling people now. Because you can't, or because you won't take a vaccination. Your job is done. Can you imagine that? To me, that is the ultimate cruelty, what they're doing to doctors and nurses and healthcare people. The people that just a year ago, that many of them were dying and were heroes, now they're zeros. That's the fickleness of mankind. That's the fickleness of our, of our the instability you know, of the, the human psyche and our culture. That's why the Bible says, beware of the world. Don't love the world. Don't live for the world. Oh, the world will love you. But when it's done with you, it'll throw you under the bus, just like that. It'll use you and throw you under the bus. That is the world in which we live. But you will never regret, never regret living for Jesus. He will not throw you under the bus. As a matter of fact, he mounted the cross for us, didn't he? He laid down his life. His interests are always for you and for me. And we, that's why you know it. And, that's, and it's sad when you see people sold out for the world. And then they get bitter because the world dumps them. Yeah, you have, you know, you're old now. We'll get rid of you. We don't need you. Jesus will never do that for, to you. And that's why we need to sell out for Jesus. Amen. We need to sell out for him. Let's wrap this up here. <clears throat> As the waters wear away stones and torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you will destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him. Uh, as he passes on, you change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. Um, they are brought low, and he does not perceive it, but his flesh will be in pain over it, and his soul will mourn over it. So I, I think in verses 20 through 22, he's telling the story of a person who, who passes basically through life, you know, without really knowing the Lord, never, never being able to enjoy their family again. Isn't it wonderful to realize? And that's why, you know what, the most important thing that we are taking to heaven is none of our stuff, is our loved ones. And you and I will be able to enjoy our family forever. Isn't that great? Isn't that an awesome thing when you think about it? We're able to enjoy our family forever. And that's why we need to live for Him now. And that's why we want to take as many people as we can to heaven. Because we're not taking anything else. And I'll tell you what, folks. The way things are going in this world, the rapture could happen any moment. At any moment, the rapture could take place. I mean, I wish I knew. I really wish I knew. And, I, and, if, and if we knew, we'd be all packed up and ready to go. But it's his eminent return. We, we don't know. We have no idea. Because he wants us, what, to always be ready. He wants us to always be ready. So, Father, we praise you tonight. Lord, we, uh, 
We're thankful for the Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, your spirit is a, a counselor, a comforter. And Lord, there's so many people in our world tonight wrestling, struggling, isolated, fearful, addicted in some form of bondage or slavery. And here we stand tonight. We're free. We're free indeed because of what you've done for us. Help us, I pray. Help us to live for your kingdom. Help us to love you above all things. I, I pray, Father, as we draw near to this annual holiday once again. And it's a reminder, Lord, that you came Lord, to this earth to redeem us. Lord, you had not, never had one selfish moment in your life. You lived always in the shadow of the cross. And you were always ready and willing to do the Father's will. Would you work that in us, Lord? Would you live in us to, to will and to do of the Father's good will and purpose? So, Father, we thank you. I ask you to, to go with us this week and grant to us, I pray, divine appointments, opportunities, Lord, to tell people about your great and awesome love and of the many good things that you have done and you have wrought for us. And with all that, Lord, we say thank you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we rise?